right, you can turn your Bibles to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 20 this morning, we'll be looking at verses 4 through 6 today. Uh, the title of the message is The First Resurrection. There is some confusion out there in uh, Christendom about this, uh, what we're going to read about here in chapter 20 today. Uh, there's a lot of confusion about a lot of things in uh, the book of Revelation, and in particular, chapter 20, so hopefully we'll come away with some of these things cleared up for us uh, as we continue this wonderful study. But this idea of the first resurrection is one that I've had uh, recent experience with, talking with someone about that, and uh, and there's... A lot of confusion, what it means to be in the first resurrection. And this is something that uh, we'll, we'll look into today. And it's important for us to understand, as from our scripture reading, 1 Corinthians 15, there are some, there are some phases to the first resurrection. The, uh, as is clearly demonstrated, Jesus is the first person to be resurrected, and he is a part of the first resurrection. We'll just get it out there uh, uh, in the beginning so we all know where we're headed. The first resurrection is the resurrection of the righteous. All righteous people are included in the first resurrection from time immemorial, Adam to whoever the last person, I assume, I'm Pretty sure Adam was a saved person. He will be resurrected at some point in time. And whoever the last person is who trusts in Christ before the end comes, they will be included in the first resurrection because it is a resurrection of all righteous people. And that's the one you want to play a role in. That's the one that you want to be included in. The second resurrection leads to the second death that we will see as we make our way through chapter 20, which is all about the millennial kingdom and the great white throne judgment. The people who will be re resurrected immediately before the great white throne judgment are unbelieving people. They will be resurrected, uh, the second resurrection, they will go before the great white throne judgment and then they will face the second death. After that, as they find out that their works, after all, didn't end up bringing them righteousness, but I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> we are still in the first part of Revelation 20 that talks about Christ's second coming to the earth, establishment of the kingdom, and as we'll see today, a, a resurrection to life plays a role in this millennial period or a resurrection to life is something that has to take place for people to live for a thousand years upon the earth. Did you notice that we don't live for a thousand years? Something has to change for us in, to be able to do that. And that is Christ raising us from the dead. That is the thing that will take place that allows us to do that. As we are continuing our study, we are in that section of the book that, are, that speaks of the things which are to come to take place after these things. These are future events all the way from chapter 4 through the end of the, of the book of Revelation is speaking of future events, exclusively future events. Uh, chapter 1 was the vision of the risen Christ. Chapters 2 and 3 are letters to literal churches that have, of course, a secondary application to us. But this book is not unlike uh, the epistles of Paul, that, like Ephesians, for example, written specifically to the Ephesian churches, probably delivered among uh, several of the local churches, but nevertheless, it had a targeted audience. The book of Revelation is no different. It's written to the, the seven churches that existed uh, in Asia Minor at the time that John was writing. He 
He was inspired by God to write this book to these churches. It was delivered to them. It's obviously scripture, and so it's preserved for us. And those letters to those individual churches have an application to us because we're still living in the church age. And that's here on our chronology after the cross, after the Holy Spirit was given to us. Jesus promised before he went to heaven that he would give the Holy Spirit to believers. He wouldn't leave us alone uh, in this world. So that happened for the first time in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost after Christ's resurrection. That began this uh, church age in which we are still living today. And that will end with the rapture of the church when we are taken to stand before Christ at the judgment seat of Christ, or the Bema seat, it's sometimes referred to as. We'll see that. Pretty sure we have, yeah, we have a reference to that later today. Uh, and then we will spend a period of time, probably somewhere close to seven years, in my opinion anyway, close to seven years, we'll be in heaven with Christ, taken back to the Father's house, just as he promised in John 14. That's not an, that's not an empty promise that he made there. He's going to, uh, he's not going to leave us alone, but he is going to come one day for us and take us back to the Father's house. And that, I believe, sometime shortly after that, I don't know how long, a week, a month, maybe a year, maybe, uh, this tribulation period that we have been studying in the book of Revelation, chapter 6 through 19, will take place upon the earth, a literal seven years of tribulation, God's wrath being poured out on the earth. It is all an effort. The, the tribulation period is an effort. Maybe not the, the, the correct word. It's God's way of getting the nation of Israel to believe in Jesus. Because as Christ said, Matthew 23, 37, he will not come again to the nation of Israel until they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Essentially, he will not come again until Israel believes in him. John doesn't spend a lot of time talking about those that kind of an issue in the book of Revelation. Why? Because it's written to churches. It's primarily written to Gentile people, uh, the original audience of the book of Revelation under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he didn't feel as if it was necessary to reteach the entirety of the Bible. But in order to understand Revelation, you do have to understand the Bible, to understand it correctly. It's not a book that, that uh, stands alone and just tells us everything that we need to know about the future and what's going to happen in the future. That's a desperate mistake that people in the church age make today that they read the book of revelation as if it as if it has all the answers everything that we need to know about the future is found in revelation there's a lot there but it doesn't give us the whole picture hence the promise one of the beatitudes of the book of revelation one of the seven blessing statements in fact the first one right in the beginning, Revelation 1.3, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the, of the prophecy and heed the things which were written in it, for the time is near. The time is near. It is going to take place of all of the things that the scriptures describe happening. It is going to take place. And so, there's a blessing in understanding the book of Revelation because essentially, as hopefully you've noticed in the last uh, 70, I think this is the 78th week of reading, studying Revelation, you have to understand things from the Old Testament. You have to understand the Bible in order to understand the book of Revelation. And so there is a blessing in knowing these things. John didn't give us all of the information, but all of the information that God wants us to know is in the Bible. So it behooves us to know those things and apply them to what we see in Revelation. And what we see in the rest of the Bible is that Jesus will not come again to this earth until the nation of Israel 
believes in him. He went to the cross because they didn't believe in him. Kind of a a side benefit of him going to the cross is all of us having eternal life through the shedding of his blood. It's all part of God's plan. His plan is for the nation to believe in him. When the nation believes in him, he will come again and establish his kingdom on this earth, indicating that God does all the work and the people who believe in him will receive the benefits of God's work. It's the same for our salvation of our our giving us eternal life. The salvation of our souls is all Christ's work on the cross. We receive it by way of believing in him. The kingdom will be all God. He is the one who is doing all of the work. It will happen when the nation of Israel corporately believes in him, then he will come again and he'll establish his kingdom for 1,000 years as it's described in the book of Revelation. He will rule and reign for 1,000 years on this earth. And that will be the time period in which God is uh, taking the earth back from Satan who usurped his authority. God wants someone a person to rule over his creation. That person, the only person who's qualified to do that is Christ. And he will do it when the nation, part of God's plan, when the nation believes in him, he'll come again and establish his kingdom on the earth. And as we saw last time, there are a lot of several variations on the kingdom and what it actually is. We saw post-millennialism last time is this idea that we are created. We are the ones doing the work, creating the kingdom on this earth. And when we get it good enough, then Jesus will come again. That is a very, very dangerous idea because as we've seen in studying the book of Revelation, the next kingdom that will come to this earth The next person who will rule over a kingdom that is over the entire earth is not Jesus Christ, it's the Antichrist. The one world government ruled by the Antichrist, the the beast, as he's described in Revelation, uh, is the next kingdom that will come to uh, rule over this earth. So if we are creating that, we think we are creating a kingdom for Jesus, right now upon the earth were misguided. Revelation very clearly reveals that the Antichrist and his kingdom will be next. So post-millennialism is misguided. It is trying to establish God's kingdom upon the earth through our work, through the work of the church. And when we get it good enough, then Jesus will come again. That's a wrong idea. That's contrary to what we find in Scripture. Ah, millennialism, this idea, ah, meaning no, that there is no literal kingdom on the earth is even worse than post-millennialism. It's very clear from Revelation and throughout the prophets that God himself in the person of the Messiah is going to rule over a literal kingdom. We have to spiritualize and allegorize nearly the entirety of the message of the prophets in the book of Revelation to come to the conclusion that Jesus or that the Messiah will not rule over a literal kingdom on this earth. And in fact, destroys God's entire the plan that we see so clearly laid out uh, in the scriptures. When we understand it, the plain meaning, we see that, well, God created the world. He created it very good. And he wants a man to rule over it. Uh, that from Genesis chapter 1, that's very clear. And the rest of the Bible is laying out how that process is going to take place in spite or in light of the fact that man has sinned and God created the world to be very good. How is God going to solve this problem? He's going to solve it in the person of Christ and there's going to, he's going to literally rule over a kingdom on this earth. So if you take away 
the idea of a kingdom, wow, you're changing the entire purpose of the scriptures and the entire purpose of what God is doing in the world. So this idea of amillennialism too is, is very, very dangerous. Uh, if we go historic premillennialism, we won't go into that again. But uh, a biblical idea of millennialism is that Christ is coming again to the earth to establish his kingdom for 1,000 years. He comes before it. That's hence pre-millennialism. Christ comes again before the kingdom is literally upon the earth. And as classical dispensationalists, we are pre-tribulation. The tribulation is the reference point for the rapture. Uh, and the millennium is the reference point for the second coming of Christ to the earth. We've talked about the difference between the rapture and second coming many times. We are pre-tribulational because we believe the rapture, God taking us back to the Father's house, must come before the tribulation period. We are pre-millennial because Christ comes again to the earth with us as spectators clearly demonstrated in Revelation 19 before the millennium. So we're pre-tribulational, pre-millennial in our viewpoint of the scriptures. And that brings us to today, the first resurrection. We'll look again at the resurrected people, who's actually going to be resurrected uh, in order to, at the beginning of this point in time, and what are their roles going to be? We'll see that in verse 4. And then we see this uh, Revelation 20 and verse 5, very interesting uh, verse of Scripture. The rest of the resurrected, we'll take a look at some possibilities of who those people might be. And then verse 6, we'll look again at the reign of these individuals and Christ upon the earth. Notice Revelation 20 and verse 4. It says, Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead or and on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So we begin with the resurrected, verse 4, last time we saw that there are two groups of people who are being described here. The first group is sitting on thrones. Judgment was given to them in verse 4. And then we saw these tribulation saints who are also uh, come back to life and rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. Years. Notice that first group again, Revelation 20 and verse 4. Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. These people, uh, the they, uh, judge from these thrones that are set up. Now, the way that pronouns work, and, uh, well, we won't... <laughs> they refers to a group of people. You can't call your, your, you yourself are not they. That is improper English. I don't care who your English teacher is. If they're telling you something that they can refer, oh, sure, you can use they as your pronoun. That's foolishness. Uh, I don't know any other way to say it. They uh, refers to a group of people. And the way pronouns work is that that they are, uh, they refer to something that has already been stated. And I just, I just did it for you. When I said they refer to something that has already been stated, I had already talked about pronouns. So when I used the word they, that replaced the word pronouns that I had already stated 
that was, uh, would have been clear to you if you were listening. So they don't refer, pronouns don't refer to something in the future that hasn't been stated yet. You would have no idea what I'm talking about if I use the pronoun they and I'm referring to something that I haven't said yet. Therefore, the they here in verse 4 cannot be referring to the people who are about to be resurrected who just went through the tribulation period, who had their heads cut off because they didn't take the mark of the beast or they didn't worship the Antichrist. It cannot be referring to them because they haven't been stated yet. Now, you may know the book of Revelation and have it memorized, and you already know where John is going with this, but that's not the way that language works. The they must be referring to something that has already been stated. And as we make our way back through the text, uh, we can see the, the individuals who this could possibly be referring to. So if we just go backwards, the, the, the last group that are referred to is the rest of the people who were killed by the sword that came out of the mouth of Christ. That's in Revelation 19.21. Well, the people who are being killed by Christ at his second coming, I don't think they're going to be resurrected to rule and reign with him for a thousand years. Uh, another potential they is the beast and the false prophet. Uh, they're mentioned in, verses, in verse 20. Oh, but wait, they're cast into the lake of fire. So uh, nope, can't refer to them. Oh, how about the kings of the earth and their armies? Uh, nope, they're the ones who are killed by the sword. So we keep going back. Oh, there, here's one, uh, Jesus. Verse 16, he's the one who's mentioned there, uh, uh, having a king of kings and lord of lords name written on his thigh. Well, no, uh, clearly he's an individual, so it can't be him. Verse 14, well, look at that. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. Grammatically, the only group that makes sense when we use pronouns, the word they, grammatically, the only group that makes any sense in being a previously mentioned group of people is the armies of heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, following him on white horses. And as we spent uh, nearly an entire Sunday studying, we saw those armies are you and me. That army is believers. We are the ones who are accompanying him on the white horses, dressed in fine linen, as had been stated several times we saw already in the book of Revelation. That is describing saints. That's describing believers in Christ. And we will accompany him when he comes again. And they are the they who is mentioned here in Revelation 20. In verse 4, then I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was given to them. This is the promise that is made throughout the book of Revelation. Revelation 2, verses 26 through 28, the ending portion of one of those uh, letters, one of the groups of people who are the audience of this letter. Revelation 2, 26, he who overcomes... We saw we overcome by faith. And he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces as I also have received authority from my father. And I will give him the morning star. A promise that those who trust in Christ will rule and reign with him. Written to a church. Revelation 2.26. Revelation 3.12. Another, and I remember, Revelation 2 and 3. This is why the outline of the book of Revelation is so critical to our understanding it. Revelation 3, part of the letters to the seven churches. The audience of the book. 
us, if you will, the church. He who overcomes, we overcome by our faith, we see, 1 John 5. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and and my new name. You will be a temple, uh, a pillar in the temple of God. You will not go out from it anymore. Verse 21, he who overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. We are promised to rule and reign with Christ upon this earth. That's what's being described in the first sentence of Revelation 20 and verse 4. And one more, Revelation 5.10, you have made them. Again, the them is us. We won't take the time to go through all that uh, pronoun usage. Although we could use some lessons on pronouns these days. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. They will reign upon the earth when Christ comes again, sets up thrones for them to sit upon and rule and reign. And the process here is that they will be resurrected, then they will be judged, and then they will reign. That's what we see described here in our biblical chronology. We will be resurrected one day at the rapture of the church, very clearly described, 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 57, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 17. We will be resurrected, taken back to the Father's house. That is the most likely time that we will face the judgment seat of Christ and uh, we will be found righteous because we've trusted in Christ, rewarded because of our faithfulness to him. And then when he comes again to the earth, we will rule and reign with him for a thousand years upon the earth. That is, that is, that is the result of a plain understanding of the scriptures. Any other... Uh, and I'm not saying this uh, trying to make you think that, oh, I'm so brilliant, I came up with this. Uh, people a whole lot more <laughs> brilliant than me uh, read the Bible and come to the same conclusion. Even the, the post-millennialists and those who spiritualize the text admit that the plain understanding of the Scriptures leads you to that conclusion. Pre-tribulation rapture, seven years of tribulation, Christ comes again to the earth and establishes a kingdom for a thousand years. That's what the text says. Anything other than that is allegorizing it, spiritualizing it into something different than what it plainly says in the text. We will be resurrected, judged, and then rule and reign with him. 1 Corinthians 15.50 promises this to us this idea of a resurrection. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. We can't be there for a thousand years in flesh and blood as people who are living today. It isn't possible. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery, a previously unrevealed truth. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. That's a resurrection. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And then we will rule and reign with him as we saw in these uh, verses earlier in Re Revelation. Resurrected, judged, and then reign with Christ. And notice the verse goes on 
verse 4, uh, for some reason, uh, Stephen Langton, he's the, the individual who is credited with giving the uh, versification of the Bible in around the 1200s. And I, given the example before, he's probably in a carriage ride and he must have got distracted by something out the window in the carriage ride and at the end of uh, the sentence there, then I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was given to them. Oh, what's that? Oh, back to, oh, where was I? Verse four. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. That's two different sentences there. And for whatever reason, it's included as one verse in Revelation 20 and verse 4. But there are two clearly distinct, distinctly different groups of people. The second group, first group, believers in Christ, you and me, if you've trusted in Christ, you will be there uh, on the thrones. Judgment was given to them. Next group of people who will be ruling and reigning with Christ for a thousand years are the tribulation believers. And notice that they too are resurrected in order to reign with Christ. Uh, And in the beginning... Also, notice that it says, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded. He doesn't say, I see the bodies of these people. No, there is, there's a progression here. First, he sees the souls. He describes who they are. And then at the end of the, of the verse, the end of the sentence, he says, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. That word and there, we spent some time studying that last time, can also be then, just like it is at the beginning of the sentence. Then I saw thrones and they sat on them. Judgment was given to them. Second sentence. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded, the tribulation saints. Then they came to life and reigned with Christ. There is a sequence of events here that is being Described. These are the souls of the people that we saw in the fifth seal judgment way back in the beginning portion of the tribulation period, Revelation 6, 9. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. Sounds a lot like the uh, language that is here. These are the same souls that he is seeing again. And so that is a reminder to us that uh, what John is seeing here are future events. He looks, he's looking forward at the fifth seal. He's looking forward into the tribulation period. And he's seeing the fact that during that seven year period, people are going to be martyred on an unprecedented scale. It doesn't mean that, oh, the first seal happened. We remember pseudo peace uh, happens and the Antichrist comes on the scene. He makes a pseudo peace. And then the second seal is broken and there's a big war. And then the third seal comes and there's these economic difficulties. Then the fourth seal comes and then there is uh, uh, death on an unprecedented scale, and then the fifth seal. Then, after that, then the martyrs, the martyrdom starts. This fifth seal is kind of a, it, it's an overview, if you will, of kind of the entire period of time. And we can see that because here in Revelation 20 and at the end of the tribulation period, he's making mention of these same people uh, using the same kind of language. And so the fifth seal is, is an overview of the entire time. It's going to be very difficult for Christians to, to live, people who have trusted in Christ, whatever tribulation saints, whatever uh, term you want to call them, I think it's okay to call them Christians because they're trusting in Christ for their salvation, even though they don't live during the church age period. 
They live during the tribulation period, but they're still being saved the same way. Uh, and after all, at that point in the tribulation period in that chronology, well, we saw the mark of the beast hasn't even been introduced yet. Uh, the, the Antichrist image has not even been put in the temple yet, but yet people are already being martyred. Clearly, more people will be martyred with the mark of the beast and, and the uh, setting up of the image that takes place in the midpoint of the tribulation. Personally, I think the mark and the worship of the Antichrist and all of those kinds of things are going to happen at the midpoint and subsequently. But people back here in the fifth seal are already going to be uh, being killed because of their faith and because of the things that the Word of God says. As we mentioned before, people are being uh, ridiculed, canceled, uh, some places even imprisoned for stating the truths of the Word of God. Well, people are going to be dying because of that during this tribulation period as we see the world headed in that trajectory. And then it's only going to get worse when the Antichrist is, is literally set up as ruler of the earth, it will only be worse. So this is what John is describing here. These tribulation saints, the ones who, are, who have trusted in Christ for salvation, they're being martyred because of their faithfulness and because of God's word. They will not worship the Antichrist. They will not take the mark of the beast, a physical mark, as we saw, uh, as a demonstration of worship of the Antichrist. They won't do that, and they're going to be killed because of it, and they will be resurrected uh, to rule and to reign with him. As is clearly stated, plain language uh, of the text, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. There's only one literal meaning of that statement. They were dead. Christ brought them back to life, and they ruled and reigned with him for a thousand years. That's the only, that's the only plain meaning of that text. And then we have this interesting statement in Revelation 20 and verse 5. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed, period, end of sentence, next sentence again. This is the first resurrection. So there is, there is some discrepancy uh, among beliefs in this uh, portion or in commentaries, I guess, on these verses. And uh, I think the meaning is, is pretty clear here that the, that the rest of that is mentioned here are believers in the thousand years. Now, you'll, you'll see a lot of commentaries. You'll read a lot of commentaries from good people who are going to say, no, that's the, that's the unbelievers that are mentioned in Revelation 20. And verse 12, uh, that is the section, the great white throne judgment, Revelation 20 and verse 12. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And I would say that that is, uh, I, it's, it's a valid way to interpret it, but I don't think it's the best way to interpret what is being said here. Why, similar to the use of pronouns, why would we jump ahead to something that hasn't even been mentioned yet and uh, describe this event of the rest of the dead not coming to life until the thousand years were completed and giving no hint as to what it's about and then follow it up with, this is the first resurrection. I think it's more clear to, to state that the, the rest 
who are mentioned here are included in the first resurrection. So while it could be unbelievers, I think a better explanation is that this is describing all of the people who will be included in the first resurrection, which is very clearly a description of the first resurrection being a resurrection to life, to eternal life. Everyone who is a part of the first resurrection will enjoy life forever in a physical body with God the way life was intended to be as described in Revelation 21 through 22. So the rest are people who have trusted in Christ throughout uh, history. And I would include the, on- the only people who would be included in that the rest are people who believe during the millennial period. I think this is probably the only reference in the Bible that, that refers to this group of people. It's been asked, uh, I've heard the question asked at prophecy conferences and among uh, other, and in other circumstances, well, what a, when do the people get resurrected who believe during the millennial kingdom? Well, I think it's right here, Revelation 20. In verse 5, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. Life will be different than it is now uh, in the millennial kingdom. Obviously, Satan will be bound. People will be living here uh, for a thousand years. There will be resurrected people. There will be mortal people. It's going to be very, very different than what it is right now. However, in some ways, it's going to be similar. People are going to live, they're going to have children, they're going to die. People are going to have the choice whether or not they will believe in Christ. He will be literally ruling and reigning in Jerusalem in a physical body. People will be able to catch a plane ride to Jerusalem, uh, maybe Tel Aviv airport. Maybe they'll have a new airport closer to Jerusalem by then that's big enough to handle all the people who want to come and physically see Jesus in Jerusalem. They'll be able to do that. And some people still won't believe in him. And I think that's one of the main purposes for the millennial period is to demonstrate our sinfulness. How in the world could you live in a world where Satan is bound? You don't have no such thing as Satan made me do it anymore. That excuse is is gone. Jesus is literally there In Jerusalem, you can see him, you can talk to him, perhaps. We have the ability uh, to be able to talk to him. It's a thousand years long. We've got nothing but time here. Maybe you'll be able to talk to him. Uh, I think we will be able to as believers. But people in the hardness of their heart who are born during this period of time will still be unbelievers. Uh, And we see that. And we'll probably get to that next, next week. Uh, when the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison. He's going to get an army together of people bigger than he ever has before. That indicates to me that a whole host of people actually aren't going to believe in Christ when they have every opportunity to do it, living in a world without Satan, without his influence, in Christ literally here, somehow Satan is still going to be able to get an army of unbelievers to go with him and be deceived one last time. Uh, However, there's going to be a group of people who do believe, and they are the rest of the dead, did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. Uh, When I read about those individuals in Revelation 20 and verse 12, we don't see the word life there at all, in reference to them anyway. There's a a reference to the book of life, which we'll talk about again when we get there. But he just says, I saw the dead, the great and the small. There's no mention of them coming to life, as is mentioned here. And furthermore, that last sentence in the verse, this is the first resurrection. So what is the first resurrection? 
the, the first resurrection is a resurrection of life. And there is an order to it, as we saw in our scripture reading. 1 Corinthians 15, 23, speaking of the resurrection, there is a resurrection, there must be a resurrection. If there isn't, we are to be pitied more than anybody in the world. If you think that Jesus is just a man and he's a, a really good prophet and a good teacher, you are pitied to be you are to be pitied more than anyone. <laughs> You're worse than the you you should have more pity than an atheist if Christ isn't resurrected. But he is resurrected. There is a resurrection to life. There must be a resurrection to life for this life to have any meaning at all. It's got to be eternal, and Christ has to raise us again from the dead, but it'll happen in order. 1 Corinthians 15, 23, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits. After that, those who are Christ's at his coming. Don't have time to go into all the details. I believe that's a reference to the, uh, the rapture of the church, and there's an order to the resurrection. First to be resurrected will be Christians. People from this time period, from Acts chapter 2 and forward, uh, maybe you could make, we won't even go into it, Christians are going to be uh, resurrected. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. And according to John 14, when he comes again for us, for believers, he will take us back to the Father's house. The dead in Christ will rise first. There's an order to it. Christians will rise first. Those of us who are alive at his coming will be caught up together with them, as 1 Thessalonians 4 says. That is the first group to be resurrected after Christ. Christ is the first fruits. His resurrection is the promise of more. The Holy Spirit is a down payment for us that he's going to accomplish everything he said he will. Number one thing he's promised to us is one day to <laughs> resurrect us, one day to change these mortal bodies into immortal, take us back to the Father's house to be with him so that we can come again with him when he comes to establish his kingdom. Another group that will be resurrected that's part of this first resurrection are Old Testament saints, Old Testament believers. They too are promised a resurrection. That's why Martha in John 11 knew that Lazarus would live again. She was confident of that. He was dead in the grave. It already smelled, according to the eyewitnesses who were there. He'd been dead for a number of days. Jesus asked Martha, well, do you believe he'll live again? Well, of course, of course. In the last day, he'll be resurrected. Why would she say that? Daniel 12, 1 is why she would say that. She knew her Bible, and she applied it to the circumstances of her life. Her brother was dead. She had confidence that he would live again because the Bible said so in plain language, plain understanding. Daniel 12, 1, Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, Israel, will arise, and there will be a time of distress, such has never occurred since there was a nation. Until that time, and at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. When Jesus comes again, many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. There you can see again, that they're all going to rise, but only one group is said to have life. Uh, many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and 
everlasting contempt as a Jewish person, if you're out there listening, you're going to be resurrected at the, at the end when Christ comes again to the earth. If you're Jewish, you will be raised again. Some of you are going to be uh, ushered into eternal life with Christ, those who have believed in God and trusted in him for their salvation. Uh, the others who don't will go into everlasting contempt, no mention of life there, disgrace and everlasting contempt. So Old Testament saints, we give them a, you know, that's my term or a term that we make up. You won't find that in the Bible. Uh, They're part of this first resurrection. And millennial saints are also a part of this. I left out uh, the tribulation saints as our clearly described in the second part of Revelation 20 and verse 4, tribulation saints. So we have Christians, church-age believers, tribulation saints are being raised again in Revelation 24, Old Testament saints, Daniel 12, uh, being resurrected at the end. Revelation 20 and verse 5, these millennial saints will also be resurrected. This is the first Resurrection, Revelation 20 and verse 5. All part of the first resurrection. Not the first resurrection doesn't all happen at the same time as is clearly demonstrated with Christ being part of the first resurrection. Clearly says in 1 Corinthians 15, His is part of the first resurrection. It is a first fruits, a promise of more Therefore, the first resurrection happens in stages. It has to, according to 1 Corinthians 15. It doesn't all happen at the same time. Christ's resurrection 2,000 years ago, the rapture of the church, may it be this afternoon, uh, another resurrection of tribulation saints, at the end of the tribulation period, sometime very early on in the kingdom period when Christ comes again, probably right at his second coming, these people are going to be raised again to rule and reign with him. And Old Testament saints included in that, not specifically mentioned here uh, by name in Revelation 20, Again, John doesn't feel the need to reteach the entirety of the Bible. He's writing to his audience. And finally, at the end of the thousand years, millennial believers will be raised again to live with him into eternity. This is the first resurrection. And then verse 6, we have the reign being described again. Blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God in Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. This is the fifth Uh, beatitude or fifth blessing statement of the book of Revelation. We saw the the first one, Revelation 1-3, blessed is he who reads and those who hear and heed the things written in this book. Revelation 14-13, the second says, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow with them. You are blessed if you die in the Lord from now on. Very much so. Uh, The third blessing statement, Revelation 16, 15, behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see him. Revelation 19.9, then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. We saw that marriage supper of the Lamb referring to the kingdom, period. And then we'll see uh, in future studies, Revelation 22.7, and behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. 
Verse 14 of Revelation 22, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. We see this incredible blessedness that is ours if we read and heed the things that are written here. Boy, who is who ought to be the one who is the interpreter of these things? Who who is the author of these things? How should we understand these things if there's such an incredible blessing? Well, we ought to let God be the author and try to figure out what he's communicating to us. If we just spiritualize them, allegorize them, then we're the one. We become the author. We make it mean whatever we want it to mean instead of the plain meaning of the text. Of course, there is a blessing to understanding these things because when we understand these things, we know that we have life in Christ by way of faith, and he has this incredible future for us. And not only will we be blessed when we understand these things, but we're also holy. When we understand these truths, then we're holy. We are separated for service. That's what it means to be holy. That's why he says, blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. We're very blessed because we're brought to life by faith in Christ, and we're holy because when we do that, we're separated for service for him. And that's the entire point of the first resurrection. We are uh, blessed because we have a part in it. We are holy because we're set apart for service with him. We're not going to be bored playing harps and sitting on a cloud for a thousand years. We're going to be ruling and reigning with Christ. He has something for us to do. And he has to give us life in order to do that, to be resurrected. That's the part of the first, that's being a part of the first resurrection. The second death, it says there in verse six, has no power. Death, another very misunderstood concept. Death does not mean ceasing to exist. That is a, that is a, uh, misunderstanding of what death is. We are created from the time we are uh, created. We're created to live forever, and therefore we will live forever, one form or another. Uh, but death is simply a separation. If you see a dead body, it doesn't cease to exist. It's separated from the soul. It's a physical body there that has been that the soul has been separated from. That's why it's quote unquote lifeless. But there, but it's still it's still a thing. And one day, according to the scriptures, as believers, it's going to be reconstituted into a living body again. Uh, when eternal life is given to us, it will come back together. There won't be that separation anymore. Death is just simply a separation. The second death here is obviously a reference to dying for the second time. The first death would be physical death that we all face, minus those who are raptured. That's why the rapture of the church is such an incredible promise, because there's going to be a very select few of people who have ever lived who will not experience physical death. Uh, one might even say that in relation to all the people who have lived, that group is what would be termed statistically insignificant uh, in comparison to all the people who have who have lived. Uh, but one group of people will face a second death, not only physical death, but they will also face the second death, eternal separation from God. We see that in uh, Revelation 20 and verse 14. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire for eternity, eternal conscience punishment for sin because people will refuse to believe in Christ. The only way to the Father, they face this second death. As believers, as those who have a part in the first resurrection, we have no worry of the second death. It has no power over us, as is, again, plainly stated there. And these people will be raised again, 
to reign with Christ for a thousand years. Priests of God, servants for him. That's what priests are. Revelation 1, 6 mentions that. He made us to be a kingdom. Priest who is God and Father, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. And we will be rulers for him. We will reign with Christ. So we're going to be priests and rulers with Christ for him uh, in living life on this earth the way that he intended it to be. And again, another mention, the fifth mention, I believe it is, of this term, thousand years, uh, kilia ite in the, in the Greek, where we get the term kilias or chilias, you may hear it uh, pronounced. Those who believe in a thousand years. Why would we believe in a thousand years? It says it right here in the text, six times in these seven verses, this being the fifth time, they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years, a definite amount of time. John knows how to state an indefinite period of time. He's already done it in Revelation 20. If he just meant the thousand years is just an indefinite long period of time, why didn't he just say a long time then? He knows how to do it. He knows what a short time is. Revelation 20 and verse 3, after Satan is bound, after these things, he must be released for a short time. John knows how to distinguish between an indefinite period of time and a definite period of time. When he says a thousand years, he means a thousand years. How long will Satan be released for after he's bound? I don't know, a short period of time. What does that mean? Uh, what is that to God? I don't know. He didn't decide to tell us specifically how long that would be. It's a short period of time. He also knows how to describe a long period of time. And I'll take a second to read that one to you as well, if you're not convinced. John chapter 5 and verse 6, hopefully it is. Otherwise, I'll have to do some investigating and find it again for you. I think this is it. When John, when Jesus, John 5, 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, speaking of the paralyzed man, he said to him, do you wish to get well? See, John knows all about indefinite periods of time, and so does God. And when he wants to describe a specific period of time, he tells us, like, I don't know, seven years of tribulation, 1,000 years of kingdom. He states it plainly. When he means a long time, he says a long time. When he means a short time, he says a short time. We can trust that Christ will rule and reign for a thousand years upon this earth, and we as believers have a part in it because we are a part of the first resurrection, a resurrection to life. Praise the Lord for that. And it is just a, uh, a tremendous blessing, obviously, to have a part in the first resurrection. And the, the, tremendous, the truly tremendous and gracious part of it is, is that he doesn't require us to be perfect people. He knows we can't be perfect people, so he did all the work for us on the cross so that he can give his perfection and his righteousness to us by way of faith so we can enjoy life with him forever. Let's go to him in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the book of Revelation. I thank you for the truths that we see here, and I just pray that they would go before us, that they would be in our thinking and before our eyes as we go uh, out into the world in this week to come. Help us to remember that we have the promise of ruling and reigning with you for a thousand years on this earth, and that we also face judgment before you. We will be judged for the way that we live our lives as believers. And I just pray that those truths would be before us and motivate us to live for you today. May we not be hearers of your word and uh, not doers of it also. May we be hearers and doers of your word, not forgetful but living each moment for you in the power and the strength that you give us in the Holy Spirit, we pray 
In Jesus' name, amen.